Hi, I'm Terry, Instagram's sassy sober mum. Welcome to my podcast, Sober Stories from Everyday People, bringing you stories from people just like you and I. The aim of this podcast is to share our experiences with drinking and how we got and stayed successfully sober. Just before we jump into the episode this week, I wanted to share a little bit about the Thrive community that I run. It's a place where many like-minded women go to connect and share their experience with getting and staying successfully sober. There are different sections like the main Thrive community feed where people post about things that are up and coming or about challenges they're facing and they get incredible support from other members of the group. It really is a special, special place to be right now. There are also sections to share your milestones because every win, even the really small ones, are a big thing to celebrate and we acknowledge that. There are five events, there are the weekly Zoom recordings, so you can go back and see all the weekly Zoom meetings and all the topics that have been covered in those meetings at your own leisure. There's a share sober tips section and then there are group chats for the first 30 days, the first 100 days, the first year and over a year. There's a knowledge hub as well. And in the knowledge hub, you'll find a place for books and book recommendations. There's a section of how to survive the first 30 days. So if you come in completely brand new to getting sober, you can hit the ground running and find tools and information to get a structure set up for yourself from the outset. There's also my Thrive Sober program, there's a toolkit, there's understanding the brain science and a space to read and learn about all the topics under emotional sobriety, most of which have been written by myself. So come into Thrive. If you're thinking about it or you're lacking community, I would say just jump in and go for it and maybe we'll see you in there soon. Hello and welcome to Sober Stories from Everyday People. Today I'm talking to Anna from South Wales and she's been sober for one year, one month and 17 days. I love how accurate that is and huge congratulations. You've just celebrated the year so this is an exciting time for you. So thanks so much Anna for being with me today and uh, really looking forward to getting to know you a bit. No, thank you. It's brilliant to be here. Oh, that's good. That's a good start. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself before we jump into your story? So I'm I'm Anna. I'm 44. I'm divorced. I live in South Wales. Uh, I have a daughter who's 13. Um, I've got two very lovely but very naughty rescue dogs, uh, Lola and Ronnie, um, keep me busy. And I also work full time for a charity. Oh, brilliant. What what type of work do you do? It's in the um, asylum sector. Oh, okay. Oh, that must be rewarding. Yeah, really, really rewarding. Really, really great organisation to work for. Very busy. Yeah. Good. Yeah. (laughs) Always struggling. It's the juggle, isn't it? Kids, dogs. (laughs) 
Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, it's always a juggle. Um, brilliant. So why don't you take us back to the beginning, Anna, and tell us about your story with alcohol? I will, thank you. Um, so I started drinking, really, um, like a lot of people in my you know early teens, Friday night, um, you know, getting your hands on a, on a bottle of cider. Um, and I remember, you know, it, it, really, it was a feeling of fitting in gave me confidence um and it was probably in my late teens early 20s um that my drinking really ramped up it was the 90s um there was the whole Ledette culture you know it was a total social norm to go out and get absolutely hammered and you know I, I loved it um I lived for it um and um but I always took it too far um I was a huge binge drinker. I didn't know when to go home. I was that last annoying person who was always looking for the for the next drink. Um, you know, there was um, embarrassing things I've done, injuries, um, and I owned it. You know, I was I was a party girl. I loved telling you know the, the drink stories, and I and I owned it. You know, with, with a lot of pride. Um, but behind the scenes, there was always an element of shame, um, a lot of anxiety as well, you know, that kicked in with, with the hangovers. Um, when I was 31, I had my daughter. Um, and I remember in the, in the late stages of my pregnancy, joking, you know, oh, I couldn't wait to have my baby so I could have a drink. And, and, and you know, this, this was a, quite a, a focus for me, sadly, and, and quite shamefully. Um, and I believed, you know, oh, when I'm a mother... I'll be able to moderate and, and be normal like all the other people that can and just have one glass of wine now and again. Um, but in reality, I think that's really when my drinking at home um, really took off um, and, and, and kicked in. Um, stressful. It was lonely, um, you know, being at home with a baby and, you know, everyone on social media is wine o'clock and that, you know, mummy needs her wine. Um, so it, it felt like normal behaviour. Um, rare nights out would still be a massive binge, um, but the, the hangovers got worse, the terrible, terrible anxiety afterwards. Um, and every time, you know, I would I would convince myself, never again, I'm not going to do it. Um, and it, it continued. And I know sort of my drinking at home on the weekend, a Saturday or Sunday, you know, initially it was, oh, I'll have a glass of wine after seven o'clock once, once the baby's in bed. And it would be five o'clock and then it would be three o'clock. And then on a Sunday, it would be, you know, oh, I'm having Sunday lunch. I need a glass of wine. But I, I couldn't open a bottle and have one glass and put it back in the fridge. I do the full bottle and eventually I'd get two bottles just in case I wanted the one glass of wine after I'd finished the one bottle. And, and it just went from there. And I think looking back, it was very much a coping mechanism. Um, it, it was my what I went to to help me you know, cope with just normal life. Um, when I was about 39, my marriage ended. Um, in the run-up to it, I was drinking a, a lot more. Um, I know there were times I hid bottles, um, you know, put them in the in the carrier bag and, and, and put them in a bin on the on the way to work or in the car park. Um, sort of coping with my divorce. Um, drink was what I went to. It's what I used. Um, there were occasions I know I stopped on my way to work and, and was sick. Um, and again, still, I thought this was normal behaviour. I didn't really question that there was anything wrong with that. Um, the hangovers were terrible. The next day, I'd need a drink to 
sort of get me, you know, on a level again. I tell myself, well, I'll just have one glass. Um, and the whole time, you know, I was functioning. I held down a job and, you know, I was very good at my job. Um, to the outside world, I felt like I probably looked like a person that had it all together and, and was quite, you know, a strong person. Um, but every day my mind was full of, I'm not going to have a drink today. I won't have a drink today. Um, And then, you know, get to the end of the day and I was passing a garage on the way home. Oh, well, perhaps I'll just get a bottle of wine and just have one glass. Mm -hmm. And that whole cycle would just continue. And and sometimes I would moderate. You know, I'd go Monday to Thursday without a drink. I think, well, that's great. I'll just have a drink on a Friday. And it it never stayed. It always, always, Mm -hmm. you know, kept up. And I think towards the end of my drinking, there were blackouts as well. Mm. Um, You know, you don't remember going to bed. Um, And there was obviously, there was a lot of depression, you know, especially after a big binge um, for days um, of real, you know, sort of self-loathing and beating myself up of why can't I just be normal? Why can't I just, you know, enjoy life and, 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 and do, you know, the things that everybody else does? Um, you know, some things I used, to, I used to be amazed that people go for a meal out with a group of friends and even, you know, have a Diet Coke or just have one glass of wine. That was an opportunity for me to, you know, get the drink into me. And I, I didn't have pudding because I'd say, oh, no, I'm going to have another glass, large glass of wine, too. <laughs> I did that as well. <laughs> I did that. Yeah, I'll have a Bailey's. I'll have yeah. a Bailey's or a limoncello or dessert wine. You know, what's dessert wine all about? It's so strong, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I, and I love a pudding. I yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm a pudding for a glass of wine. Now, I, you know, yeah. I have pudding. But, you know, <laughs> even holidays, holidays to me weren't about going away to have a rest. They were about brilliant I haven't got to drive anywhere you know I can sit by the pool and start drinking at 12 o'clock and it's totally normal because everybody else is having a beer by the pool and I'd come home from a holiday feeling worse than I'd actually yeah. went you know it was, it, there was never any there was just never a break from it all in my head more than anything it was just a, a constant battle that I think people don't see because you're not, you know, pouring vodka on your cornflakes at, at nine o'clock in the morning and, or, you know, you're not in the pub every single day, all day, every night, which people, you know, class as somebody with an alcohol problem. But, you know, behind closed doors, I battled with it all the time in my head. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it makes me shudder a little bit, really, because actually you're, I, I feel like you're talking about my life. You know, yeah. the things that you're saying and mm-hmm. there's, there's, yeah, so many similarities, just the 90s culture, yeah. being, being being that annoying last person there, yeah. forcing everyone to stay another hour or open another bottle of wine and yeah. ruining everybody else's next day yeah. And, yeah. You know, and being the one that the black sheep in the morning. But I still laughed that off. I still thought it was just all a game, just all a yeah. big joke. Absolutely. It was, you know, I just, I just owned it. You know, it was, it was funny. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't see it as there were times, you know, when I was in that sort of after binge depression that it was like, God, this is just really tragic. But then the urge to go out and enjoy myself would take over. And, and in that moment, it was like, you know, and, and I remember saying, you know, I, I can't imagine you not drinking, you know, I, how can you trust someone who doesn't drink? And it's like, <laughs> I think you might that, the same thing. that was about me more yeah, than totally. anyone else. And um, I just didn't see it. 
I feel like I have to, like I owe an apology to all the people that just didn't drink a lot that were in my social circle at the time and I was drinking quite quite heavily and say, sorry, there's nothing wrong with you. The problem was totally with me, but I would make people feel like shit for not drinking. And and say sorry to all the people whose like parties and events I ruined. Yeah. <laughs> it was probably a lot. And they must yeah. say, Oh God, you know, it probably seen me coming over to them and think, Oh God, you know. Yeah. And and it was in the nineties, in the early two thousands, it was really acceptable. And you know, and and I think I almost never grew out of that. That was my coping mechanism then, and I yeah. never really found another coping mechanism I stuck with that and and when you're 40 you know 41 mm. and you're going out you know getting absolutely wasted yeah it's really tragic and you know it's still in my head thinking I'm 20 and um I'm behaving in the same way it's just you know I, I knew it wasn't the life I wanted to live but I also didn't know how to change it I think that's the key point there Anna I almost feel, I feel sad actually about the impact of the culture of Mm. how acceptable and Mm. how how encouraged all of that heavy drinking behavior was. And you can see why, you can see why so many people get quite hooked on it. Because if you do it a lot and you do it with no off switch and you do it for all the things and it becomes your coping mechanism, you your 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 body and your brain just don't know how to be any other way. And so you are trapped then. That's the bit that you don't realize. You don't realize that you're falling into the dark hole until you're almost all of the way in it. Because I yeah. suppose it's like if you imagine when you're falling into a hole, some of your, your your legs and your body are getting dark, but your head's still up in the light. And then it's only when the head goes on, it's like, oh, God, shit, how did I end up here? <laughs> you know, this is it's now I'm really, yeah, thinking about release of all the yeah. stress yeah. and all the, you know, everything that. Uh, you know, you, you get, especially as I got, you know, 13 and 40s, oh, I have a child to look after, you know, I have a job, I've got to work hard. And, and you you know, and I think you're constantly doing things for other people and looking after everyone and keeping yeah. your hands in the bills and holding down a job and, you know, making sure everything's done in, that needs for school and everything else. And mm-hmm. and you, you and then that releases, oh, I'm going out Friday, it's all right, you know, and then it's like, boom, Bang. you go out and, you know, all hell let's lose yes. <laughs> one drink and then that's it isn't it you know yeah you're rolling yeah. in at this is what time and still trying to persuade people to do shots at the bar and and then you know your whole weekend is just that despair of oh why have I done that you know why I feel awful now oh I need a drink to sort of you know take the edge off that. that yeah 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 it's yeah it's it's so crazy I wonder as well how many people out there at the moment have had those thoughts or are even thinking now about the fact that I'll have I'll have children and you know that will just naturally slow me down because just like you I was exactly the same it it actually got worse after kids and I found that a big disappointment because Mm. then that's when I started to really put myself down I think when you've got another small life to be responsible for and in your head, when you imagine having kids, you 
I don't, well, I, for me anyway, I pictured going out to the park and doing all the things, being at the farm, being very present and there for my children. The reality is it's it's actually quite hard anyway, isn't it? When, when you become a parent. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot harder than I think you sort of anticipate. But there is there isn't an isolation there. You you don't have your your job or your friends, at least for some part in the beginning. And it's a big shock. And having that wine at six o'clock or seven o'clock or eight o'clock, it just becomes the thing, the only thing you really focus on. And I think it's easy to put yourself down even more. When you become a parent, you obviously you you get that mum guilt anyway or that parent guilt because I, I can't leave the dads out here but and you know certainly for me I really felt that mum guilt but then there's the mummy wine o'clock oh, that's okay that will fix it and I think I started to make silly decisions under the influence in the early days of at least certainly my first child after she was born and I did suffer some I think some mild depression of of, of how awful I felt about myself why why am I like this what's wrong with me why can't I just drink normally and that that really kind of ate away at me yeah definitely and and I feel like I was desperate to be present and enjoy you know you're told you enjoy every moment aren't you and it's going to be this experience and you know I was knackered absolutely knackered and you know every day feels the same doesn't it and you you know it's Mm. it's it's, and, and some people do love it, but I, I really struggled with it. And, you know, every time then I'd have, you know, a drink, I'd think, oh, I need to be present. I need to be a better mum. But the next day you'd be, you're ratty, you're a bit hungover. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, I can't do this. <laughs> and it, it, it does just, it just implodes and it just becomes bigger and bigger. And you desperately want to change, but don't know where to even start and I couldn't even imagine giving up you know my drink it was it it was like oh god you know what I need it you know it was really that something that I needed to help me cope and and I felt I deserved it you know it's my my treat and and this couldn't be anything further away from treating yourself to putting poison in yourself which is what the alcohol is yeah but that fear of losing the alcohol and the way that it disconnects you from what's really happening in your life that fear is very big and so not drinking is probably the last thing on the list that you even think about if you think about that at all <laughs> you yeah. want to try and find other things that aren't going very well rather than really focusing on the fact that it actually might be the wine too much wine yeah yeah, yeah. So talk to me about when you stopped. How did that happen? What happened in the days leading up? Um, I mean, so looking back, I mean, I, I think there was times when I, I recognised they did have a problem. I mean, I remember in my 20s, I remember saying to people, I really wish I could go out and be really nice and quiet like everybody else. And I'd go out and desperately try to do it. And then I'd get to a point and that switch would just flip. And I'd be up there, you know, shots dancing on the tables. And and and, and we all used to joke about it. And I say the harder I tried, the worse that, you know, that sort of escalation became. 
Um, and I know a few times in my 30s, I really thought, you know, I, I might have a problem. But again, um, like we said, I could never have imagined not drinking. It didn't even come into it. So I'd always, you know, sort of just put it to the back of my mind. Um, and it was really in my early 40s. Um, I knew I had a toxic relationship with alcohol. Um, but again, I just felt I couldn't deal with it. You know, I was I was probably quite depressed and um, drink numbed it you know it was it was a form almost for me that I think at that point of like self-abuse self-sabotaged and um you know I enjoyed drinking more on my own than going out and having you know big nights out and mm-hmm. um, then in February 2022 I um took my daughter to school one day and I was coming back to work I work from home um as I work in, in, a, in a different job and I just started crying and I couldn't stop and I spoke to my manager and said, I don't know what's wrong, but, um, and it's come totally out of the blue. I said, but I can't work today. Um, and I saw a doctor and they, exa- um, they diagnosed anxiety and depression. And I remember saying to the doctor, I think I've got a drink problem. Um, and he said to me, how much are you drinking? And I, and I told him how much I was drinking. And he said, that's far, far too much. That's a really, really, you know, silly, dangerous level. And I said, what do I do? And he said to me, you know, he said, a glass of wine with your dinner every night is absolutely fine. He said, so, you know, don't feel you have to give up. Um, but, you know, just just the one glass, you just need to learn, basically, to just have one glass, you know, when you go out for a meal or, or every now and again. And I thought, right, I really do think I've got a problem. But because he just, he didn't, you know, mm. say, yeah, you know, how do you feel about it? I thought, well, you know, I'm, make, I'm making a fuss over nothing here, aren't I? You know, if, if my GP thinks it's fine, then, you know, I've, I've made all this up. Um, so, um, sort of, you know, symptoms, I took a few weeks off work, um, you know, symptoms continued. I had, I had horrendous insomnia. Um, I, I wasn't sleeping. Um, I had heat intolerance, all sorts of things. Um, and eventually I saw um, a really lovely doctor, a GP, in April 2022. And she said, I want to just do a complete blood work on you. And I was diagnosed with Graves' disease, um, which is an, an autoimmune condition, um, which um, your immune system basically is, is damaging your thyroid. So I had an, it gave me an overactive thyroid. Um, and still at that point, I continued to drink. Um, and I did all sorts of other healthy things. I took all the vitamins, you know, I was on medication Um, you know, I said, and I started doing yoga, but yet I still drank. Um, and, um, I, ch- I changed my job. I had four weeks off in the summer to really focus on my health. And this was going to be, it. I was going to, cause I felt so awful of fatigue, you know, I struggled to walk up the stairs and this was it. And I remember, Every morning, getting up and going for my walk, you know, um, eating lots of healthy foods, and and I convinced myself in this four weeks I was only going to drink at the weekend, and I think on the the Friday that I finished, my work knowing me so well gave me a big box of flavored gins because you know the joke was that I loved a gin, um, and so you know that that was it. That was the four weeks really. Um, I drank. Um, I did all my healthy things and I drank. And, um, you know, at that point, I didn't get drunk anymore. Um, I could function quite normally. So I felt, you know, I wasn't sort of rolling around drunk or anything like that. Um, I could drink two bottles of wine quite easily and and still get up the next day and function. Um, But my symptoms from it all, even though with medication, were getting getting worse. 
Um, and I know people talk about, you know, needing to hit rock bottom. And, and I never felt I did. I remember one Thursday night, um, it was just a normal Thursday night, you know, I was having my, my gin and tonic or my glass of wine. And, and I just remember thinking to myself, I'm slowly killing myself. And this isn't how I want to die. And, and I woke up the next morning. I had a full bottle of wine in the fridge and I poured it down the sink. Um, and that was the 1st of September, 2022. And I haven't had a, a drink since. Oh, that's absolutely amazing, <laughs> isn't it? What a story. Wow. It was, it, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was almost like a shock to me that I'd done that because... All the other times, you know, I'd planned and I was going to give up drinking and I'd managed, you know, like two weeks. I think the most I managed once was three weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was just something in my head clicked in that, yeah, I'm going to seriously, you know, in some way or other, I'm going to drink myself to death Mm -hmm. by you know, all of the the effects on my immune system, you know, all of the, the different illnesses that I could get because of, you know, the, the constant drinking mm. it's so fascinating that 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 just came from within you mm. you know I, I just I find that really fascinating about our bodies and just how clever they our bodies are and our, mm. and our gut instinct or intuition mm. it's just that you had that message which you probably had many times before leading up to that but that night the message was strong enough that came from inside your own head or inside your body, and then that's it. It changed your life. It, it still surprises me now because it wasn't this big, you know, drama or this big, you know, announcement or you know, you know. And I suppose again, we think, don't we, that somebody when they give up drinking, they have to have this major intervention that somebody comes yeah. in and you know says you need to stop. It, it was just so clear to me that this is what I need to do it's like a big moment of clarity isn't it it's amazing yeah, yeah, yeah. huge and and you know it was nothing I'm sat you know lying on sofa watching telly <laughs> I can't even remember what I was watching but it was like yeah wow so we woke up the next day or the, or the first of September let's say um what you had this new focus possibly mm-hmm. Possibly enthusiasm for it, I don't know. But what, <laughs> what did you do? How did you help yourself? So, so I reached out to um, a friend um, who I didn't really know well. Sort of social media friends, you know, you, you comment on each other's posts, um, and I'd seen um, previously that they'd put a post up to say that they were, I think they were, you know, two years sober. And and I'd seen it, and it had stayed in, in the back of my mind. So I thought, you know, oh, wow, I wonder, you know, I wonder how they did that. And so I messaged them and said, you know, look, I know I I don't know you really well, but help, I I'm, I've made a decision. I need to stop drinking. Um, what do I do? How you know? And and he was just amazing, absolutely amazing. And and now you know, I consider a really really close good friend. Um, and um he offered me support he put me in touch with a Facebook group um said you're going to get you know join it post on there and you know it was really out of my comfort zone to post on there um and put myself out there and and I did and the support that I had from different people and I think now I'm able to give that support back to people Mm -hmm. on there as well was huge um I read as many books 
as I could on, you know, getting sober, on being sober and really listen to people's stories and, you know, listen to podcasts like your this podcast. And I just walk, you know, headphones in with the dogs and listen to people's stories um, because it's just you just pick things out and like, gosh, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. God, mm. that's how I did it. Um, I counted my days um, and really thought, right, I'm, I'm going to get, you know, little things like get to 10 days, double figures, you know, get to 30 days. And in the in the beginning, that was so important. Um, and I think as well, I removed myself from social situations completely. Um, I had an excuse. I wasn't well. I, I didn't tell everybody, oh, I'm giving up drinking. I said, I can't drink at the moment because of my Graves disease and my thyroid. Um, so I'm not drinking at the moment. Um, and just left it at that. Um, nothing more. And I think by doing that, I almost gave myself sort of permission not to put pressure on myself yeah. and just take each day and almost have that journey on my own and that growth on my own with no pressure um, from anyone. And, you know, I avoided alcohol-free drinks, um, you know, the the alcohol-free, you know, the, the um, sort of, you know, branded mm-hmm. one that tastes like gin and things like that. Now I drink them now and again if I'm out. Um, I didn't then completely because I needed to just totally get away from that habit of needing that, at, you know, at a time. And, you know, I think I went to bed quite a lot, like half eight. <laughs> and, and I probably needed to. Um, but, um, yeah, I just got through each day as it came and I didn't try not to think too far ahead I didn't think oh god you what about Christmas Christmas is it you know a time where I used to start you know start celebrating it but you know quite early we all do Christmas parties you know Christmas day is fine to have a glass of champagne isn't it you know 11 o'clock in the morning I thought I can't think about that I just need to take each day as it comes and just focus on this and and I think as well I fo- try to focus on getting better and 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 sort of healing myself yeah yeah well that's amazing um can you remember the first 100 days and and I suppose for you if it was the first of September you were quite close so 100 days or just after 100 days you would have been around Christmas time yeah how did that go I remember at first I expected within a couple of days to feel amazing, you know, for the sky to be bluer than it's ever been and to hear the birds singing, you know, and, and all of it for this something wondrous to happen. And it really didn't. And that's not to say being sober isn't the most amazing thing ever, but it takes quite a while to get to that point, I feel. Um, my, you know, my body and my mind needed time to recover. I'd been poisoning myself all my adult life. Um, and... Um, I think it was quite lonely. I felt quite sad. I was grieving this relationship that I'd had with something that no matter what had always been there for me when I needed it, you know, and, and it was, you know, like, what do I do now? Who am I? I don't don't really know what, where I go from here. Um, But the more days that went on and the more days that I sort of counted, the more I thought I can do this. I can live my life, you know, without alcohol. And I think the biggest thing in those early days for me was the noise in my head stopped immediately. Just okay. it was the, the revelation that it was to me was just 
and how much time and how much if I consumed my brain with should I drink shouldn't I drink or well if I only if I just you know have spirits and I can have a mixer with them or if I just if I start at, at seven tonight you know or if I all of that just went and all of a sudden I was like oh I've got time on my hands actually I wasn't that busy I was just busy filling my head with should I or shouldn't I and and all of that and I think for me in those early hundred days you really find out who the people in your life that love and care about you Mm. and support you um, and who are in your life because your relationship with them is based purely around going and, and getting hammered and having a drink and you know your circle gets smaller, but um, it also gets better because, you know, the, the people that are around you and stick with you through it and don't say, oh, come on, you can just have one. Say, OK, we'll go and do something different instead of, you know, going to the pub. Mm. Uh, um, you know, other other people that you need in your life. Yeah. I think there's a lot of twists and turns in that first 100 days. Um mm. And I remember having that time and having a having the space mentally mm. in my mind, just like you said, not being taken mm. up with thoughts of should I, shouldn't I, or I really shouldn't, and if I do, I'll regret it, and you know, just like going round and round and round. And that's 3 a.m. wake up when you've, you know, your head's hit the pillow because you're, you're hammers and you're, you're out con- unconscious. And then you wake at 3 a.m., you know, just feeling horrendous and everything, you know, the anxiety, everything going through your head. And, you know, I, I, I need to stop. I need to stop. Oh, God, I shouldn't have had. Why did I have that last drink, you know, and, and all the rest of it? Yeah. And, yeah, it's. It, it it's just it's almost like an awakening I think yeah. once you've got sort of past that that hard part that grieving part it is it is you know like God, how have I wasted my life doing this yeah it is an awakening I do feel like you wake up and you mm-hmm. see things so differently as well when you put that effort in to get to 100 days or yeah. or six months and yeah. onwards, you just start to see it all so differently. And you wonder why you spent so much time doing it. You know, it's quite mad, isn't it? I think it's a really important message as well that you're saying the first 100 days wasn't amazing. And I know that sometimes people might reach out to me on Instagram or perhaps people that I work with on a coaching basis and there's disappointment sometimes that people aren't the glowing, kind of shiny, happy, carefree mm. person that perhaps perhaps sometimes we do see on social media, on Instagram. And I always try to point out the same that you mentioned, that if you've spent your life, if you think about the timeline of your life that you spent drinking and, like you said, poisoning yourself regularly every other day or every day or whatever that frequency was, and then you don't drink for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 days, that's really amazing, but it's such a small amount in comparison. And we need to let our bodies repair and recalibrate and restore you know, it's a long time. Yeah. And I, and I think for me, I saw the biggest, like, 
wow, this is amazing, was actually at Christmas. And, um, you know, I probably, I haven't had a, a sober Christmas, you know, since I, I don't know when. And, and I, I'm not particularly a great lover of Christmas, but for the first time ever, I felt relaxed at Christmas. Nice. I felt like I enjoyed it. I felt present. You know, I, I it wasn't about, oh, you know, when can you have your next drink? Oh, no, I'm, you know, going to see a relative, but I don't really want to drive because I want to be able to have a drink. You know, it was just, it felt like a restful time and not a time that I hated, just a time that was quite chilled and enjoyed. And, you know, similar to... Um, my holiday I went on holiday in July and um, first time I've been on holiday and, and not you know started drinking at the airport regardless of what time it was and again I came home like feeling like oh I've had a really good break you know I got up early in the morning and I walked you know on the, on, on the beach I um you know I, I was in bed at half past nine you know I swam in the pool you know did things and it was just so nice to actually this is what a holiday is about not you know, getting absolutely wasted every day and coming home feeling really, really rough. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say is the impact of stopping drinking? What's what's it had on your life? Um huge, huge um impacts. Um I think for me one of the biggest things um what is the impact on my um mental health. Yeah. Um, it's um an, an anxiety and um I was stuck in such a cycle of you know drinking and then it would bring on anxiety it would bring on on the depression um but also the opportunity that sobriety has brought me those opportunities that I never ever would have either taken up or or been able to to do has been huge um I know in March this year um, I was six months sober and um, I met an incredible person and, and I was saying to them, I really want to get fit. Now, I don't know about you, I don't know how many times in my life I've said, oh, I'm going to get really fit and I'm going to be this super healthy human, This, you know, and it lasted until the next bad hangover and then you got out of the routine and it never happened. Um, so they said, we'll, we'll train you, lift weights, come to the gym. Um, so in March, I you know, walked into a gym at 43, um, about two stone overweight, um, into, you know, what I call a man's gym, you know, like a proper weightlifting gym, and and started lifting weights. Um, and I train, you know, five times a week. Um, I and, and that itself has totally transformed my life. I train on a Saturday morning at 5.30 in the morning. I used to come home at 5.30 in the morning. Um, you know, I, tra- I guess on a Sunday and train at 5.30. Um, and I just never, ever would have, I would have thought I could do it, but I never would have done it um, mm. if I hadn't have been sober. You know, I ran a half marathon um, a few weeks ago. Again, I probably would have rocked up to that and walked it, you know, hangover. Um, and it, it's just opened up a world of opportunities that actually when you're sober, um, it gives you confidence, it gives you self-belief and you take them with, with both hands. And, and, you know, my health now um, with my Graves disease, my thyroid levels are stable. I'm on a minimum medication. And I, I don't believe that that would have happened to me if I hadn't have given up alcohol. Oh, it's amazing, isn't it? So transformational when you talk about all those things and the impact that it's had. 
And that's in just over a year as yeah. well. You imagine what it's like in three years or five yeah. years. And, and it feels quite strange because I can, to look back where I was a year ago, where I was 18 months ago, where I was two years ago, it, it just, it just doesn't compare. Mm. And, um, and I just think that, that, you know, if I can do it, anyone can. And it's just, it, you know, get that support around you. People will help. People care, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so inspiring. It's such an inspiring story. And lifting weights, you know, I, 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 something I I am really keen on starting as well. I just I think there's more more women getting into this lifting weights and strength training, and it is you know they're getting powerful bodies and it is so empowering. Yeah, um, it's given me so much confidence and you know self esteem. Just just you know every every aspect of my life you know those two things you know getting sober lifting weights I just I I I could talk to people all day about it you know but I've gone from being that annoying drunk person to being the annoying sober woman who talks about being sober and and lifting (laughs) weights (laughs) yeah I think people that get sober (laughs) we do get a bit annoying sometimes with our our sober sober stories we're proud aren't we we're proud of it Absolutely, we should. It comes be. a bit of an obsession. I think yeah. self development comes a bit. For me, yeah. I've replaced my sobriety obsession with self development obsession, and mm-hmm. now yeah. I'm just learning all these things about nervous systems and brain mm-hmm. and yeah. trauma and oh, it's just it's, it's and you can because your headspace is yeah. suddenly free, isn't it? Yeah. And this yeah. is, I think, one of the amazing things. Whatever your passion is, or whatever you you know want to try or, or get you know get into you've now got the space to do it in your head to really do something and give it a good go and and try it. Yes. And like you said, there's so much confidence to be earned getting sober because it feels like the hardest thing you will ever have to do. And and in some ways it it is the hardest thing. You know, it was one of the hardest things in my life to to remove alcohol and essentially force myself to change my life at 41 I stopped drinking so really really similar age um and when you do that you just feel quite you feel incredible you feel like well if I can do that I can do anything yes that's (laughs) exactly it It is yeah I'll give it a go (laughs) exactly it's just I'll I'll definitely give it a go yeah a hundred percent um, what are your top three tips for getting and staying successfully sober? Um, I, for me, the first one would be, um, your social life. You need, it has to change. You can't keep doing the same thing and expect different results. Um, so you have to remove yourself, but you also need to surround yourself with people that support your decision. Um, anyone who doesn't, doesn't deserve to be in your life. Um, people that love and care for you um, will support you. And if you if you don't have someone in your life, social media is an amazing place. You know, for all the bad things about social media, it is an amazing place to find a support network of like-minded people, people that have been there and have struggled and, you know, reached out. The sober community, I've found, is the most incredible bunch of people um, who've been through all sorts of, you know, often, you know, tragic and awful things, 
but have come out the other side fighting and and really really look after each other yeah that's so true it's a really really special community special place to be at the moment yeah absolutely absolutely and I think as well the other thing I say is be kind to yourself mm. if if you've if you've you know had you know problems with alcohol we beat ourselves up you know, I beat myself every time I drank too much. We beat ourselves up just by drinking. You know, it is a form of self-abuse as, as far as, you know, I see it. You know, show yourself care, respect, patience, and, and just you're going to have good and bad days. That's life. And, um, you know, just just measure your days. Take each day as it comes. Eat some nice food. Go to bed at 8 o'clock. Mm. Um, just give yourself you know the the space and time to do whatever you need and you know it, and, and it will come it will happen yeah um, and and I think that the third thing for me is you know listen read listen to podcasts find other people's stories it massively helped me to relate that do you know what this isn't just me this is yeah. other people I feel this way and um a quote I read recently and I and I put on my Instagram page and a lot of people um you know messaged me about it was when you recover loudly you stop others from dying quietly mm-hmm. um and and that is one of the big reasons you know reading that really really um struck a chord with me and, and was one of the reasons why I, I really wanted to come on and, and do this podcast yeah oh it's so beautiful you've done such an amazing job Anna and the story is has it's just so much inspiration it's 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 packed with inspiration and great tips um if you're open to sharing your world with other people where can we find you uh, so my instagram is um gotta think now aiming dot high underscore squatting dot low so that is in reference to my um, obviously recently acquired obsession of of weightlifting. Um, but I am, um, you know, I, I I post on there about you know my weightlifting, my fails when I'm lifting weights, as well as you know the the days that it goes really well. Um, but also about you know Graves' disease um, and and autoimmune, and but also sober life and sober living, which you know I'm really really passionate about. And I just think you know if one person sees my story or or sees one of my posts and you know they reach out like I you know reached out to somebody else and said help you know what do I do then um you know that's that's absolutely amazing and I know that you know it's it's all all worth it yeah absolutely and if you could go back to Anna two years ago what would you tell her I tell her it's all going to be all right and that good things are to come and um you know just just keep on keeping on and and you know I think that um it sounds strange but one of the the best things that ever happened to me was getting my diagnosis of Graves disease you know at the time it felt like my world was falling apart I thought that I, I genuinely thought I remember you know there was days I had to sit down in the shower when I couldn't you know struggle to walk upstairs without having to lie down on the bed and I thought this is my life from now on but actually you know I took control of that and that first step was was getting sober and um yeah and, and I think that again sometimes that journey happens for a reason and and I needed that to happen to be in the place that I am today Oh, what a lovely way to end. Thank you so much 
for this chat has been absolutely lovely and it's lovely to meet you thank you for having me it's been it's been great i've really enjoyed it oh that's so good to hear and thank you to everybody else and yeah see you soon bye 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 thank you so much for listening to this podcast if you're interested in being a guest please contact me directly on Instagram by sending a message to at Sassy Sober Mum. You can also find helpful tools and resources on my website, sassysobermum.com. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to spread the love, please like, share and rate the podcast. I really look forward to next time. See you then.